This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Good Grief is getting quite a bit of buzz on Netflix. It stars Dan Levy, Dan Levy and it explores the concepts and emotions of what happens after a friend passes away. Amy Amanti is going to have a review of the film in just a moment, but here's a clip from the trailer. Do I look older to you? I feel like I've aged a lot. No. Yes, your husband just died. You're allowed. My God. A film by Daniel Levy. Friends recline on couches. They participate in exercise classes together. I wanted to thank you both for this year. I would like to take us to Paris for the weekend. We all deserve some joy. Yes, thank you. Where are we staying? A taxi drives through Paris. The widower, Mark, stares out the window. He and his friends arrive at their rental flat. This is sexy. At a restaurant, a couple kisses as Mark looks on sadly. You must miss him. It's complicated. Yeah, love is that way. Are you okay? Oliver met someone else. His friends look on in shock. I'm sorry you're having to deal with that, but I'm allowed to feel things too. My husband officially died a year ago today. Such a meticulous person. He left behind one hell of a mess. Entertainment critic has, Amy Manti has some thoughts on the film. Hey, good morning, Amy. Good morning, Dave. Amy, kind of tough to sort of uh, go hee-haw after uh, that trailer. I think that kind of sets the tone a little bit. This is Dan Levy's directorial debut. That doesn't mean that he's not had his creative fingerprints on a whole bunch of projects over the years. But what stood out to you about this film? You know, a big fan of Schitt's Creek, of course, um, and his comedy genius. And I wanted to see how he adapted... Um, his writing style, because he also wrote this film, um, and his directorial style to something that was a little bit more somber. And I also really wanted to see how he brought representation into this type of storytelling. Um, so some of the things that really stood out to me in this particular film is um, how they integrated this authenticity of the way this type of storytelling is. Um, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that uh, in just a minute. Um, but I really thought that there was some lovely moments in this film. Um, and there was a really nice balance between um, the way the storytelling is woven through this film and um, the way that the characters are written and the way that the acting is uh, is balanced together. So there's a, a lot of really nice moments in this film uh, that I really appreciated. So a lot of that really stood out to me. Let, let's talk about the acting. Because when you're looking yeah. for that kind of emotional depth, that requires mm -hmm. both the incredible individual performer to make that work, but it yeah. also requires meaningful chemistry. So what was the interplay on screen? 
Yeah, so definitely a lot of chemistry. I mean, you've got um, a, a homosexual relationship here. You've got two husbands that are having a very complicated marriage. And us as the audience, we don't know that at first. You know, they sort of give it up in the trailer, um, but they seem to be a very happy couple. Um, and obviously, you know that his husband, Mark's husband, Oliver, dies. Um, and uh, there becomes this moment where... Mark says to his friends, you know what, um, we're going to just go away. You've supported me for this year. Let's just go away. And the reason they go away is because he finds out, it's not really a spoiler because you know that they go to Paris, but he finds out that Oliver owns this flat in Paris and uh, he wants to check out what it is about this flat. Um, and that's when you find out, as they say in the trailer, that he had met somebody else. And so there's this unraveling, unraveling of this story and the chemistry between the husband and husband and the chemistry between the friends that support um, both characters, truly, because um, at the beginning, when we see the support of them as a couple, and then now the support of the solo, when we see the unraveling of who Oliver was, who everybody loved, and now who Oliver uh, has turned out to be who people are like, I don't know what to do with that because this is a person that we loved as a friend and partner, but maybe, you know, had some secrets, you know, what do you do with that? And so emotionally you see this in these characters, um, not in what they say, but in, in the emotion on their faces and the emotion in their voices, right? That's mm. the subtext, um, that comes through really nicely. You mentioned the representation side, especially when it comes to 2S LGBTQ plus content and the fact that this is directed, written and starring Dan Levy, who's part of the yeah. community. Where where does this fit into the broader conversation that you and I have been having for about a decade now about representation on film? And by the way, that, that conversation spans more than a decade, but you and I have been having it for about a decade together. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, so here's what I thought was really interesting. A lot of times when we see certainly stories that have two men that are in a couple or um, are married, a lot of times we see very um, gratuitous or overly exaggerated examples, stereotypical examples of what an air quotes gay couple should be or what that looks like because that may not be written by somebody who is a, a community member and so what i thought from this particular piece was that none of that was gratuitous like we weren't looking at um you know gratuitous love scenes we weren't looking at any of those kinds of things that i have often seen in movies that have this kind of relationship experience um but these were movies that had a, a very very much um felt like what you would write as a literally a mainstream uh heterosexual couple and that's i think what um what i've heard from my friends in 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 you know the 2s lgbtq plus community saying is we're not a stereotype we're not a right like we live air quotes everyday lives just like everybody else and so that i think was really nice to see from a representational perspective is that there is no like stereotypical thing they're not dressed in a stereotypical way they're not they don't have um mannerisms that are stereotypical you know they're not walking around with flamboyance in their body language they're not you know they don't have jobs that are stereotypical so th there was a really nice tone to this 
that felt um, different than things that I had seen before. Uh, Amy, um, I've, 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 I've got to interrupt you a yeah. little bit here, though, because I, I don't I don't mean to be sort of like that guy, that jerk. But I think yeah. this is why authenticity really matters in terms of yeah. who writes, directs, and stars in this. Because even if some of those stereotypes were shown on screen, if it came from a community member, sure. there's a there's more of a permission structure to that, right? Like you and I, you and I both deeply care about disability representation, but also acknowledge that there is a wide swath of how we ourselves would want to be portrayed as a person with a disability on on screen. Like like you and I are not the same, and therefore, so long as the authenticity is there in the creation, that sort of gives permission structures. Absolutely, Dave. You're absolutely right about that. I just, um, I just think that oftentimes, um, and maybe not so much in the last couple of years, but we definitely in the last ten plus years, when we have seen characters uh, with this lived experience written before, they are based on stereotypes yes. in a big way. Just like disability characters yeah. are very much based, right? Because they're not necessarily written from. They, they serve a very specific purpose in a film, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, and this was a very different film. Uh, that that these characters weren't weren't uh, weren't necessarily the butt of the joke or serving that sort of comedic purpose. Yeah, drivers of the story, not that's right. not reactors to the story, which yeah, that that's exactly. a big that's a big part of it as well. Uh, Amy, just a quick thought here on audio description, because yeah. obviously when you're going to Paris, there's a lot of cool stuff you could describe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of room to describe in this particular film. Um, as you may imagine, there's a lot of moments where characters are contemplating to the sound of music um, that happens in the background. Uh, so there are lots of moments of uh, room for description. And I thought they did sort of a halfway job in, you know, saying that, you know, they're, they're going through Paris and it's a typical Parisian architecture. But that's nice. What is Parisian architecture, right? So there were moments where they could have taken that just a little bit further um, to just give me a little bit more flavor. But they did a half decent job of of um, reminding me where we were and allowing me to be a part of of Paris and the Parisian atmosphere, um, which is one of the things I'm always looking for in a film is like, do I feel like I'm there with the characters? Am I along for the journey? Right. Amy, I don't think I'm currently in the right place emotionally to play on this one. But would you recommend people that play on this one? Generally speaking, the non Dave Browns of the world. Yeah. You're, you're right. You have to go into this with a certain, um, certain, yeah, absolutely, a certain uh, emotional context to go into this. It certainly isn't the kind of thing you're like, oh, I want a great comedy, and you hit play on this. Um, so I, too, hit start and stop a few times on this because I just wasn't ready for it. Uh, but it's a beautiful film, and if you uh, have a time to hit play on it and you're ready for it, do it. Um, it doesn't have to be tomorrow. You can add it to your playlist, and when you're ready for it, I think it's worth a watch. Right on. Amy, thank you for this. Have a, a lovely day. Just before I say goodbye to you, I'm asking everybody this question this morning. Marco Pasqua in the last segment talked about mm -hmm. some of the uh, winter weather y'all had out there in Vancouver the last couple of days, unseasonably yep. wintry. Here's the core yep. question that I'm asking everybody, because we're thinking about our friends in the prairies. Always about our friends in the prairies. Oh. Amy, how many days in a row do you think you could tolerate temperatures around minus 50? Uh, one hour. <laughs> Not even a day. <laughs> Land at the airport in Edmonton, turn right back around and fly back to Vancouver. Not even a question. I step one foot out, I go one foot back, one foot back in. Oh my gosh. Amy, you're the best. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. You too. That's Amy Amanti, entertainment critic based in Vancouver, British Columbia, with a review of Good Grief. You can find Good Grief on Netflix. Let's stay in the world of entertainment with Laura Bain.
Laura, the Critics' Choice folks handed out their awards last night. It really is awards season for movie and TV. Yeah, it certainly is. We have the Emmys happening tonight. So the Critics' Choice Award honors the best in TV and film. I find it a little hard to keep them all straight. That's kind of similar to oh, the Golden man. Globes, which happened last week, <laughs> yeah. which also honor the best in TV and film. Um, so this is according to the American Canadian Critics' Choice Association, uh, their picks for the best in TV and film. So uh, very similar kind of outcomes to what we saw with the Golden Globes last week. Oppenheimer was a big winner, taking home eight awards including for Best Picture. Now, Barbie did a little bit better at the Critics' Choice Awards than it did at the Golden Globes. It took home six awards, including for Best Comedy. But, Dave, you have to keep in mind it was nominated in 18 categories. So, you know, it's all kind of relative whether that was a big win for Barbie or not. Um, you know, did win in terms of uh, costume design and hair and makeup, which definitely the film for me stood out in terms of that. On the TV side of things, we had Succession, again, taking Best Drama Series and winning quite a few awards, and The Bear for Best Comedy Series. Mm -hmm. That's one I haven't seen, but I, you, you said it was pretty good. I need to check that one out. But like people tell have said the last two seasons of that show are two of the best shows, uh, seasons of television of the last decade. Yeah, um, and that, that's a Disney Plus one, right? That's on. It's on the FX tab in uh, Disney Plus. Right, right. Because there are many, many uh, tabs inside Disney+. Plus. Good luck trying yeah. to find anything. Yeah, I, I don't find it quite as user-friendly as something <laughs> like Netflix. But uh, other news from last night was actor Harrison Ford being honored with a Career Achievement Award. Uh, you know, he received a standing ovation. The award was given out by director James Mangold. And he said in part that Harrison Ford is a star so big, he contains multitudes. A star so unique, he attracts other stars. A star so bright, he is he has warmed each of our lives in this room, in our audience, and likely on this planet. So wow, very. Wow, wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I, I um, can't so imagine somebody saying that about me. Yeah, well, I, I don't know, Dave. I might say that about you. Uh, don't be so hard okay. on yourself there. When I get my, um, career, when I get my career achievement award, uh, you get to give the speech. Okay. Um, well, I brought this topic forward this morning, and it was suggested by so moving on some on the team that Harrison Ford might be perhaps overrated, and some of the hype around him might be related to the roles he's been cast in rather than his own kind of acting abilities. And I know you had some thoughts on this, and you sort of threw this question out there at the exact same time, and I'm going to just throw that question right back at you, Dave, and say, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Let, let's name names here. Senior producer Andrika Delanerol does not get to hide was sort of questioning the overall merits of Harrison Ford. And I fired back with a quote from Air Force One, get off my plane. And then I talked about the fugitive. And then you consider things like Indiana Jones and, of course, all of those Star Wars movies. But, Laura, I'm I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm swayed by Andrika's position of, was that the quality of the movies rather than the quality of him as a performer? But when I really think about it, I don't know if you can do those movies without Harrison Ford, right? At that time in the 90s when they made Air Force One, he sort of had that elderly action star, but still had a presidential veneer about him. So sometimes I wonder if it's maybe not about the individual acting chops, but your presence on screen, and as a star, if anybody could replace you in that role. So I actually think it is possible for someone to be perhaps overrated and underrated all at once, because it's just the way they're perceived rather than the way they perform. Hmm, 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I was sort of kind of wondering where you would go with that because I was thinking, well, sure, you know, overrated by some, underrated by others, perhaps. Um, and, you know, my response in that email chain was that I don't really have a lot of thoughts on this. And, you know, I think the reason for that is, you know, certainly I've watched the original Star Wars, but the types of films that Harrison Ford has been cast in just really weren't my jam. They were sort of more action-based and particularly before we had widespread audio description in the 90s i found those films very difficult to follow so i tended to kind of not watch them even though they were like huge films and i was aware of that um but i think also for myself i've just never really been one to follow actors so much as i know some people do certainly when i watch a film i notice if there's good acting or maybe bad acting but i don't always connect the through line of someone's career and tend to tune into things because of particular actors mm. with a few exceptions, including Dan Levy, who I'm a huge fan of who you talked of in the, in the last <laughs> segment. But, uh, you know, and I also, I guess, perhaps tend to be overly charitable and think, well, people just, you know, to get to that level, I think you do have to have a strong acting ability and perhaps they just weren't in the uh, right fit for the role or they just yeah. had an interpretation that I wasn't a huge fan of. Actors like Adam Sandler and Owen Wilson maybe came come to mind Ooh. for me as actors that I've found a little difficult at times. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, Adam uh, Sandler, that is a great example of perhaps yeah. underrated and overrated at the exact same time. That, that That's a perfect example. Uh, Laura, just on the way out here, I do want to give Harrison Ford some flowers, though, because he was the co-star in a television show called Shrinking that came out in the last year and a half or so that was a Mike Lawrence show. So think uh, Ted Lasso think Scrubs, you know, some pretty important shows of the last 20 years. And apparently Harrison Ford's performance as an aging psychiatrist, unbelievably good. Got a lot of praise for that role. So Harrison Ford may still have the fastball and we're not giving him the love that he deserves. But with that, Laura, I must say goodbye to you. I'll have to check that out. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> have a lovely day. That's Laura Bain at the Entertainment Desk coming up after the break. A couple concerns being floated from child care providers in Ontario with the $10 a day program and the funding challenges that presents. All of that story in the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.